Let's read the word of God. Beginning in verse 2, chapter 11, 1 Corinthians. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman originates from man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her, to her glory, for her hair is given to her as a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. We're looking at 1 Corinthians, and there's multiple reasons. But one of the things that I've learned from this study of this book is this is practical holiness. How does my life look in light of the society in which God has placed me? How do I manifest the Lord and Savior which I claim? How does it, um, in the freedom that you and I have in Jesus Christ, how do I allow that freedom to be seen and yet have it guarded where it does not cause yet a younger Christian to stumble, nor to cause a lost person to throw an accusation that is not necessary. And that is one of the things that we're dealing with. This church in Corinth, you need to understand, had no doctrinal problems. Their theology was intact and very solid. But what their problems were was what I call their freedom was mastering them. In the name of freedom, they were literally stepping into places they shouldn't be. And if some of it was immorality, yes, I agree with that. And it was sexual immorality. Yes, that's not a freedom. The Bible doesn't teach that as a freedom. But we do have other freedoms that we allow to beat us. Paul made the statement when he began dealing with freedom in chapter 8 that if I cause a brother to stumble by eating meat, I'll never eat meat again. I wonder how many in this fellowship this day would have that mentality. That if I did something as trivial as something that I ate and it caused another person to stumble, what would be our response? I'm curious about that. Because we have a tendency in this country to be very much similar to the community in Corinth. Corinth was a slave community. Freed slaves got 
rights to property in the city of Corinth, Roman government gave it to him to establish a city there, a stronghold for the, the government of Rome. And so you had people who were literally coming out of slavery, and yet I have never met a human being who has not come out of slavery. Maybe in the penalty of their sin that they were enslaved to. And yet, what did you do to get free from your slavery? Nothing. And yet, at what point in time do we allow that freedom to overrule us? I think about Haggai, sharing this in our Sunday school class, that within five years of the Babylonian release, they had turned their back on God. And God got ticked off about him. He says, you work hard all the time. You put money in pockets that have holes in them. You, you think you've got clothing. And he says, but you're never warm. You think you've got food, but you're never full. And he says, that's me. I'm against you. Why? I brought you out of slavery. How great a slavery were you in before your salvation? Huge is an understatement. Huge is an understatement. And so we step into a text here that still sets in that. Because you know what comes after this? Communion with the Lord. I watch people fight over this. It's cultural. I had a discussion with somebody uh, just this week. Uh, one of the great radio personalities made the statement that long hair issue was a cultural issue. And I said, really? So you've just become the editor of Scripture. I don't want to stand in that position. I really don't want to stand in that position and say, God, your Bible was good, but it needed some editing, and I took the privilege of doing that. I don't want to do that. The text isn't cultural. The text is not cultural. We've really got to get a hold of this. Okay, why? Because of where the text falls, it is non-cultural. If it was cultural, guess where it's at? It's not in the Bible. Why? God doesn't need it. He says... I tell you the truth, heaven and earth will pass away, but not my jots nor my tittles. Okay? I mean, we really need to get a hold of that. And that's, that's a promise from God. You know what that is, right? When God promises something, that's a covenant. Okay? He tells Jeremiah that his covenant was so strong that can you change day and night? No. Then you can't change my covenant. I don't, I don't, I really don't understand it. I mean, why is we make that? Well, I, what does he mean? What he said? Why? He called us sheep. You know why? Sheep are not the brightest animals in the forest. Why? And they really need simplicity. Why? Because we're like sheep. And God says, you guys can't handle complicated. So what we're looking at is a, God's design in 2 through 11. He says, I need to explain to you the design. What was the design? It was stated in 3. And it is the, 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 the or, uh, yeah, in 3. It was the design that all of existence is based on two principles. Submission and authority. Submission and authority. And he says, let me show you how vast this principle is. Okay. Man is submitted to who? Christ. Christ is submitted to who? God. Who's in the middle? Who's between the two bookends that God uses for his designs? Woman is submitted to man. Because if I want to deny the one in the middle, then I have to deny the two bookends. And if I deny the two bookends, then I have to ask you a question. Who redeemed you? Was it not Christ submitted to the Father? 
If he did not submit to the Father, then you no longer are redeemed, nor were you ever redeemed. Do you want to deny that one? No. Why would we struggle with it? Well, we in America today fight the same thing that the church in Corinth was fighting. We're bringing our society into the church. We bring that in, and when we carry it in, it ain't really that bad. But watch how it manifests itself. Okay? I taught on this when it says, I will not be mastered by anything. All right? Can somebody tell me in holy writ where it says it's a sin to listen to rock and roll music? Can somebody show me where that's at? You know what's really scary about holy scriptures? I can't even find out where it says it's a sin to smoke. Okay, it's not in there. Okay, now if you go and you get the privilege of teaching to the brethren in Russia, you'd better remember that smoking is a sin <laughs> in Russia. Um, the average life expectancy for a male in Russia right now because of tobacco and alcohol uh, is 48 years old. Okay. Uh, the women live longer. But... See, and so it's stuff like that. I shall not be mastered, Paul said. Okay? I am free. All right? They used to say Mozart was a heretic because he played music. He wrote music. They said Beethoven. And yet I love Immortal Invisible. All right? But do you see what, what we're getting at? And you know what? Yeah, I know. Spurgeon made the comment that when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, he landed in a choir loft. I... I I agree, amen, and it's a hearty amen on my behalf. I've never seen music. People say, what do you think about music? I said, I love music. When you sing like me, you have a tendency to love music, okay? Why? Well, turn up real loud so you don't hear me sing, okay? And I don't really much care. People ask me, what kind of music do you like? All. I have everything from the classics to jazz to, I'm not admitting to rock and roll because somebody may throw a rock at me. But I want us to understand these things because he stated it. Here's the design. It's submission and authority. But he also said, let me apply it. How does it apply? Verses 4 to 6. And, it, and I like this text because who has the privilege, the giftedness, and the opportunity to pray and prophesy, male or female? Both. Okay? And I've seen this thing butchered. Okay? I've seen it go where we want... You know, people have asked us, and I've shared this with you, what do you think about women pastors? And I said, I've never thought about a woman pastor, ever. Why? The Bible doesn't say anything about women pastors. Okay, I don't see women in leadership anywhere in the church. Sorry. Okay, I didn't write it. All right, my apologies. I didn't write it. Okay, but what do you think about Galatians 3? I agree with Galatians. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor, uh, you know. I agree with all of that. Absolutely. But I can tell you this, the Bible teaches that there are different roles. There is the role of authority and there is the role of submission. Okay? 1 Corinthians 14 tells me that women are not to pray or prophesy in the congregation of the saints. That's what it says. Okay? Uh, Philip had children. We looked at this. You can get it on tape or whatever you want to do. We've already looked at this, but I want you to understand how it does it apply. It still applies today. But it says here that if a man prays and prophesies with his head covered, what does he do? Look what I got. <laughs> this is what they use today and that they've used for several thousand years to pray and prophesy. 
This is a prayer. You would say this and you would bow your head and you would pray. Ask yourself a question. Is that a hat or a veil? Nice hat, huh? And if they're out cruising around, they wear it like this. All right, I don't know. Do, do Jewish brothers cruise? I don't know. Okay. Paul says, don't veil yourself. Why? You're taking a... You look like a role you're not qualified for. Okay, now the Jews, they'll get spiritual on you. Well, it's just my submission to God. Okay, I've taken the authority of God. I got news for you. He told me I was my, his friend. I was his friend. And if you really want to grab a hold of this and just really play with it, what is the church described uh, as in the book of Revelations? The what? The bride of Christ. Why was Eve given to Adam? No. A helpmate. To help Adam. What is the bride of Christ? Listen, the truth is still the truth is still the truth. What is the bride of Christ? A helpmate for who? For Christ. Yet, do you see how I take, here's the role of authority, and here's the role of submission. In the body of Christ, men have the position of authority. Woman has the position of submission. In the cosmic understanding of the kingdom of God, Christ is the head of the church, and the church is submitted to Christ. Is it today? In America, what you know of the church? No. She ain't even close. I, you know, and in some cases, I'm not even sure she knows who Christ is. Tragically. Uh, J.I. Packard, uh, some of you may know him as Anglican. Okay? The guy's got more gray matter. Uh, he's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. Okay, and um, I think it was seven years ago, seven or eight years ago, it seems like it, the Anglicans took up the debate on homosexuals in the church. He left the Anglican church instantaneously before the debate started. You know why? You're debating it. Why are you debating this? Paul, or the, the Bible calls homosexuality a sin, and you're trying to debate whether this sin is allowable in the body of Christ. That was his argument. Okay? It can get worse than that. Okay? I can tell you things now, uh, and I don't really want to get into it, but there are many who are teaching stuff now who are literally putting up barriers for people to enter into the kingdom, and they're doing it under the evangelical name. Let me tell you something. If somebody told you, you say the sinner's prayer, you're saved... You were lied to. I, I've looked. It ain't in there. It just flat out ain't in there. Nowhere in there does it say God owes you anything, even if you pray. It ain't in there. And so if you've had um, an experience that you believe, and you said this prayer, and the preacher, whatever he was or she was even today, pastor or pastorette, either one of these said that you're saved, you better check it out because that's not biblical. 
Why? There is authority and there is submission. The authority is the word of God. My responsibility to this book is what? Submit to it. Submit to it. How many in America today argue with it? Okay. I've argued with it. Okay. But I, I, I understand Jacob. I mean, I don't have a hip uh, problem. But every time, you know, he's like 460 to zero. I've never won. I have tried. And you know what? Until the time that I'm still here on this planet, I'll continue to try. But he says, this applies to us. This applies to you today. Well, women don't know. I'm going to deal with it. Okay. Does a woman have to have a veil? Are there cultural implications here? Yes. In the city of Corinth, women who were pure and modest and were submitted to their husbands were veiled. Okay. A woman who was in rebellion or a prostitute. Listen, let's be realistic. Let's be, let's, let's, if you were a prostitute, how successful do you suppose you'd be if you were veiled? I mean, a prostitute has to advertise, right? Here's what you're getting. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but the truth of the matter is that's the way it was. So if a child of God got saved and wanted to start looking like a prostitute, what would we say today? Same thing. You can't dress like that. Why? Well, prostitutes throughout history have never been known for their modesty. Okay? So please understand that. So you would notice them. Listen, today in our society, can you look at people and know that they have rebellious heart by the way they dress? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was in Russia. <laughs> Russia wants to be like America, but they hate us. It's really weird. It's kind of funny. Okay? And there was this girl came around the corner. And I, listen, I'm I'm old dog. I've it's hard for something to surprise me. But this girl came around the corner and she surprised me. Okay? Bronco orange. Okay, now I'm not talking about the cool orange color that they have now. I'm talking about, remember their old uniforms? Okay, that one that, right? Yeah, the orange crush looking stuff. You just sit there and go, oh. Okay? She had thigh high leather boots that were Bronco orange. Okay? And it matched her hair. Okay, and in a, in a, in a miniskirt and all the rest of it. But it was, it was almost like it was, are you in Mountain Rescue? <laughs> no, Spike Teals, doubt it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I just came around and it was just so bright that you're just like, oh, my. Okay, then I stopped and her fingernails matched her boots and her hair. Okay, now everybody says, well, what else? I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to get through the orange. <laughs> I was like, mercy, do you like football? <laughs> okay, but I could look at that young woman and say, this is rebellion. Why? Because I ain't never seen anything like it, <laughs> ever. I mean, are you in English, are you? I've seen some of the English people were that way. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? You could spot this person and said, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? You knew that they were in rebellion. Listen, I need to deal with it. Well, now nah, I'll deal with it next week. But I want us to understand this. Why? Because he defended it in 7 through 10. And he takes it back to the Garden of Eden. Okay? So 
what he does in 7 through 10 says there is a cultural implication, but its foundation is not cultural. Okay? I'm going to take it all the way back to the origins of man. So it's no longer cultural. So you understand this. And, and we dealt with this. And I had some questions that were asked. And it's, it's, duh. Okay. The Bible says that man is the image and glory of who? God. What is woman? Of man. But in Genesis it says what? The same thing. You've got to get a hold of that one. We all say we were created in His image. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? Man came out of woman. But let me give you something here I want you to think about. If the husband is doing his job, what will the woman look like? The image and glory of Christ. Why? Because she will be the image and glory of her husband... Who is the image and glory of God? Got it? All right. So, I mean, women say, well, I got to look like my husband. Some of you do. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm praying for you. I am. (laughs) Al rubs his head. Sandy left. (laughs) Okay. Sandy doesn't know how blessed she is. Anyway, but she ain't here. No. (laughs) But do you understand that? Okay, so husbands, if you look at your wife and you don't see the image and glory of God in your wife, guess who's got the problem? The husband does. The husband does. Get a hold of that one. Get a hold of that because this is what we're going to take. We're going to now on the harm, uh, the design harmonized. I, I prefer to use balanced, but I wrote this outline like forty years ago and. That was the best word I come up with, but now I realize that balance would have worked better. So if you want to really know the edited text, it would be balanced. No, just kidding. All right. What he starts out with there in verse 11. Um, however, I like this. Um, it may say, nevertheless, the word in the original language means that what I'm about to say modifies the preceding, even though the preceding is true and it's absolute. Did you get that? Okay, that's what the Greek word is. That's why you will see it. Uh, nevertheless, or however, it may be in your translation. All right. <clears throat> this is true. Okay. And it is independent without even the modifier, but the modifier is independent without the preceding. You understand it? Some of you got that, and the other part of you who are awake understood. Okay? Look what he says. Next is key. However, what does it say? In the Lord. He's being very specific now. You know what he's being specific about? This is the bride of Christ now. He says, I don't want you to try to make this fit into society that you're in. In the bride of Christ, now understand is what he's saying. You've got to get a hold of this because that is key to this text. He's basically said, does not, uh, man does not originate from woman. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about man. Man originates. All right. Who? Who created Adam? God did. Okay. Where did woman come from? 
Now listen, God could have taken another pile of dirt, blown in its nose, and got a woman. Absolutely He could have. But He didn't. Why? I have a design. And my design must be maintained. And this is my design. Man is in authority. Woman is in submission. I made man. We hung out together. He named a bunch of animals. He ran out of names and I knew he needed help. Okay, now it doesn't say that in your Bible. Okay. I didn't know that. It don't say that in your Bible. But he could see going through all the animals that man was in need of help. All right. Please grab that. I want you to understand that. If I understand that Christ is the head of the church, all right, the church is there to who do what? Help Christ. It's, we are His helpmate. Have you ever thought of that? That's why we're looking at 1 Corinthians. Why? It's practical holiness. Why? 2 Corinthians is ministry. Let me see what He's doing. Why? I can minister when I have my holiness intact. All right, now grab that for a second because I want you to think about it. If the church is submitted to Christ, where did she originate from? Christ. Wow, do you see how big this thing's getting? Okay, it's like taking one of them. You ever seen them little dollar bills you get? They're like a flattened, dried out sponge. You throw it in water and it swells up. That's what you're looking at now because you can't separate the two entities. You can't separate the church from the picture of man and woman. You can't separate the church and man and woman from the picture that Christ has. Okay? He's talking about the body of Christ. I want to read you that little note that is in your handouts. Um, I did not write this, but I thought it fit very perfect, especially where I'm at in this text. Okay? There's a balance in the body of Christ. Did you know that? There's a harmony in the body of Christ. I want us to grab that because... Um, the body of Christ in America today, the body of Christ in Kassarok today is in trouble. In the Lord, remember what I said, in the Lord, men and women are what? Dependent on one another. Do you understand what that means? One can't be without the other. One can't be without the other. Okay, now grab it. I'm not talking about marriage. That is not what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about is in the Lord. What is in the Lord? The body of Christ. In the body of Christ, Paul's an amazing statement. He uses the same phrase to say that if you're going to marry, you should do what? Marry in the Lord. You know what that means? Don't marry an unbeliever. Why? They're not saved. And if you think marriage is an evangelism tool, ooh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Okay? You don't marry. Why? There's two masters. And what if you have the woman who is submitted? Does the Bible teach that a Christian woman married to a non-believer doesn't have to be submitted? No. She still has to submit to a man who is following another king. That's awful. That's awful. Then you have a man who is saved, married to an unbeliever. What's she going to try to do? He's going to try to rule authoritatively over a non-believer. How's he going to do that? How well do non-believers do under the yoke of Christ? 
Yee. <laughs> Makes you want to go to Guantanamo and get a Koran. Um, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? We've got to get this kind of stuff laid out. Okay? If I'm praying or I'm prophesying, where? In the church. It's in the Lord. Listen, the, Lord, the church desperately needs male and female functioning. Our society, our, no wait, our church today in America is so corrupt, we literally hire people to minister. That's how corrupt we've gotten. We're hiring ministers. That's a sin. Why? I look at all of you right now and see nothing but ministers. And if you believe you can give me money to do more, you're nuts. Why? You literally will put me in a position that I'm not called to. And I can't do that. We hire ministers. You can't hire ministers. God calls ministers. God says that I have given you truth. I have given you gifted men as gifts to the church. That you may equip the saints for the work of what? Ministry. Ministry. Listen. One of the greatest texts I ever found in my life. Okay. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Okay. I like that. For me to evangelize is work. I mean, it is painful for me to evangelize. That's why God says, I will give you evangelist. Why? And you can keep doing what I have gifted you for. What have I been gifted for? Preaching, exhortation, discipling. That's what my gift is. That's what my passion is. That's what makes me tick. Okay? And you know what? Every once in a while, I lead somebody to Christ. But if we're dependent on me to get the kingdom full, we are going to be here a long time. Okay? In my almost 20 years of salvation, I've led three people to Christ. Oh, my goodness. And the fullness of the Gentiles is what we're waiting on? Oh. He gets three every 20. <laughs> that means we've got about 900,000 more years and we should be about ready. All right? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? The ministry is us. Is us. And the church desperately needs male and females. Okay, let me be frank instead of being Terry. Okay? <laughs> Listen, if the women didn't function in the body of Christ, we'd be in awful shape. We'd be in awful shape. But it isn't one or the other. I mean, we like that text out of Galatians 3. There's neither male nor female. I like that text too. When it comes to serving in the body of Christ, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. We are all ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read this thing to you. You can read it, keep it, put it on your refrigerator or something. I don't know, blow it up. We, as the bride, the church, have woefully lacked in supporting our husband's work to the detriment of our marriage. 
instead of submitting to his authority and playing a vital role in his plan, we allow ourselves to be lured away by what we see as necessary. Most often, our own way is nothing, has nothing to do with exalting God or strengthening others. We are just as, earth, as the earthly wife that wishes to show that her ideas are better than those of her earthly husband. But there is a much greater danger when this game is played with a heavenly husband. When we refuse to come under his authority, we are as a married woman searching for another lover, thinking that there will be more satisfaction outside of the design plan. If we do this in our earthly marriage, it would cause great trouble. Why do we think that we are immune from the effects of our heavenly marriage if we choose that path? Do we want to be the partnering bride or the wandering adulteress? We concern ourselves too much with what benefit we will get out of serving or the sacrifice it will take. Do we really wish to stand before the majestic deity and explain to him that our plans were more important than his own? There are needs to be met and service to render. Is our faith dead? What does our body look like? What does the body of Christ look like this day? Okay. We better ask ourselves these questions. That's what this text is dealing with. Why? In the Lord, there's neither a woman independent of the man nor is a man independent of the woman. You know why? God designed it that way. God designed it that way. Christianity, Paul is saying, in the Lord. If you're married to an unbeliever, you know what I'm speaking of. It is the body, it is the bride of Christ. Men and women rise to a place of Galatians 3.28. Okay? They cannot rise to that place outside of the body of Christ. They try. Look around. How successful is it? Well, there's a glass ceiling. I still haven't figured out what that means. A glass ceiling in industry. There's a glass ceiling. What? What does that mean? Okay, I, I don't understand that. They, they keep saying they want a woman president. Why? I don't understand that. You can get a woman prime minister and it works. Why? She doesn't have any authority. She doesn't. If the parliament says no, guess what? All right, I don't understand that. Do we really believe things are better? God made a design. Where was it? In the Garden of Eden. That's the basis of the design. There's authority and there's submission. Male has the position of authority. Women have the position of submission. Where? Everywhere. It cannot be attained to its beauty unless it is in the Lord. He has the ability to do that. Listen, if man is the image and glory of God, can he do that outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ? No. So how can man's plan, system, do that? It can't. That's why you see women preachers, women pastors. Why? We believe that we're going to make it equal. Really. And, and I shared this with you. If I put a woman in that position, I have sinned. Because I have put a woman in a place that she's not been designed for. And the same thing would be with me. 
That's why the woman has a symbol of submission on her head. Why? So the angelic hosts understand it. So the angelic hosts understand it. The angels look at the church. Did you know that? And they want to see a bride who is a helpmate to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that bride and that helpmate to Jesus Christ is what? Submitted unto her, to her husband. It's, it's really very simple. Okay? And, that, and that's one of the, the dangers. You know, my wife works at a hospital. And in the hospital, she has men that she is subjected to. And she has to be real careful. She has to be very, very careful. Why? She still has the place of submission in the secular world. Part of the problem you see in the marriage unit in America is that women believe they're all supposed to be out working in some kind of industry. And all of a sudden they fall into adultery and things like that. And they don't understand how it happened. I understand how it happened. They were put into a position that they were not designed for. They were put into a role that they have no ability to control. And guess what happened? They were seduced. They were seduced. It's no different than looking at a fruit. Look at the fruit. You're not allowed to eat that. But look how sweet it looks. Look how smart you'll be if you eat that bugger. What happened? It's the snake's fault. You see? It's the same thing. It's all over the place. God said, here's my design. And yet in the body of Christ, in the Lord, there is no independence. Yet, the body of Christ was designed to be a spiritual resource to one another. Okay? Let me give you an illustration, a really good illustration of that. My primary side of my giftedness that God has called me to is preaching and exhortation. Okay? And uh, out of all of the things that I could be done and used for, those are the two that I did not want. And oh well. Okay? And people say, well, why not? John the Baptist came out of the wilderness preaching and exhorting. And they cut his head off. Okay? And so, yay. <laughs> all right? Why? Preaching tends to be frank <laughs> or Terry, right? Okay. Exhortation says, I'm going to be in your face, but I'm going to walk with you and you're going to see it. Here's what happens in America today. If you're in somebody's face, they leave <laughs> and you ain't walking with them. Why? You call a spade a spade. Thus saith the Lord, what are you going to get? Now, I'll go somewhere else. There's 47 churches in, in Castle Rock. There's all kinds of places you can go. Okay. I had somebody call me, email me about a certain ministry out there, and I had to steal a, a, a thing that I heard on somebody I was listening to. And they asked me, they said, what do you think about this guy? And I said, I call it low-cal scripture. Okay. I believe the guy's saved, but you're not going to get fat off of his teachings. <laughs> okay. What's in Castle Rock today? Listen, I know most of the pastors and pastorettes in Castle Rock. It's locale at best. Okay? But it's nice. You don't have to worry about getting fat off of it. All right? There's a resource that is in the body of Christ. Okay? I have this gift. My gift um, gets me into trouble a lot. Okay? But my wife has the gift of mercy. 
the gift of grace. Okay, she also has the gift of faith. That's gift of faith is prayer. And to be married to me, you'd better pray a lot. Okay? You, you will have to go to your knees. Why? There he goes again. Why? Think about what my gift is. My gift is cutting it straight, no compromise, walk with me. And my wife comes along after I've battered all these people, and she comes along and says, now he's all right, and you're going to do this and all the rest of it. And she, and she, that's why she's a nurse. Why? My husband is brutalizing people, and therefore I have to come along and make them all feel better after he's done. Okay, but you know what's cool about my wife? She won't compromise on truth. I, sh- I asked my wife when I get to a... Di- I remember one time I had an issue come up, and it was a, uh, something I had to deal with as, as a leader in the church. And I said, how, honey, do I go to this individual and say, you are a dog preparing to steal one of God's sheep? Okay, how do I say that and not be offensive? Uh, and, and she... She says, well, what's going on? I explained to her what's going on, and she smiled at me with that just big old smile. She says, there's no way to say that nice. <laughs> so I went and told the guy that he was a dog stealing one God's sheep. Uh, he, he doesn't worship with us anymore. But anyway, <laughs> it's stuff like that that when I look at it, when it says the two are one, she is my balance. Why? There are certain difficult texts that I can ask my wife about and she will... I know what the text says, but she gives me insight in mercy and grace on how to deal with it without literally cutting somebody's head off and laughing as I do it. Because my gift says, I told you. All right? Uh, My gift isn't... It is... How do I say this? Every time I say this, I get into trouble. I am not into counseling. Okay? I, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, I'm thinking about getting married. Will you sit down and counsel with me? No, walk with me. Okay? You want to see how marriage is? Walk with me. Okay? Well, I'm dealing with this issue. Well, then in that case, walk with me. Why? I, I, I hate it when we take the scriptures and try to dress it in a different picture. I'm into Mentoring? Mentoring? What the heck is mentoring? I thought it was discipleship. Let's call it what it is, people. If Jesus wanted to call it mentoring, he would have said, go and make mentors of all nations. That ain't what he said. My passion is discipleship. My pa- and what that means is, you must walk with me. I am not going to chase you down. Okay, if you think this pastor is supposed to call you and to bother you and to seek you out, you are going to be woefully lacking. Because I am walking and pressing on to the upward calling of Jesus Christ. And my Bible says that I am to find faithful men and entrust it into them. Men is neutral general. Gen, uh, yeah, it's neutral Gender neutral is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't. So anybody that I find faithful, what will they do? They will walk. And if you walk with me, then you will be counseled. Okay? If you sit at home and say, he doesn't call me, he doesn't look, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. I guarantee you probably wouldn't want it. You don't want me coming to your house preaching and exhorting. Guaranteed. Okay? We have a resource to one another. Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking of the widows who wash the saints of the 
uh, wash the feet of the saints. They ministered to the saints. Um, I shared with you this last week in detail. They gave food. They gave housing to the saints of God. Why? They were a resource. To who? To apostle, to who? To the apostle Paul, to whoever was the man of God or the women of God or the people of God who were moving through and doing whatever they, God had called them. They taught the children. You can just go on and on and on. Women have always had a vital role in the life of the church. Please understand that. Most of the people that I see with the gift of faith, the gift of prayer, I know one man and 22 different women. Okay? I know one man. I used to know two, but one of them doesn't have to pray no more. Okay? I know one man who's alive this day who has the gift of faith, prayer. Okay? That's a passion that they have. And I'll deal with that. Those, the gifts are coming up in about two years. But anyway, <laughs> maybe. All right? But I'll, but I'll deal with that. But most of them are women. Most of them are women. Why? God designed it that way. In the Lord, there is a wondrous, beautiful equality. And in that equality, it makes men dependent on women. Boy, men don't like to hear that, do they? But a woman is also dependent on a man. Absolutely. We all should labor together at this. First Thessalonians chapter 1 says this. Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you for our gospel. Why? Because I constantly bear in mind your work of faith. You know what that word work means? Labor. Okay? You know what it literally means? Your work of faith means that you are sweating by the brow at some kind of physical activity. Okay? He's commending this church, the church of Thessalonica. You have this labor of your what? Of your beliefs, of your faith. Of the information you have been given of the true God, the living God, you literally, your bodies are producing physical work. Look what else he says. Your labor of love. The word labor of love is a more intense word. It is spoken of in a veterinary setting of a horse that strains a muscle when it was running. So you have this labor of love or this labor of faith that literally means I'm working myself to the point of exhaustion. I'm sweating and all the rest of it. Why? My faith, everybody sees. But in that, you see even more of that, which is my love. And that is literally working itself that muscles are being strained. Okay? That's cool stuff. Why? Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. <laughs> I know, that's that mentoring thing. Why? Walk with me. Why? So you'll see my labor of faith. You will see my labor of love. You can't see my labor of love and my labor of faith if all you do is show up 45 minutes or an hour for church. You'll never see it. You know what's really cool, though? You'll never be used by God either. Okay? You know why I think this is happening? Turn with me. I'll, I'll show you. This is just this is my prophetic side. 
Okay, chapter 3, 2 Timothy. Last letter to the Apostle Paul ever wrote is getting ready to be beheaded. Uh, he's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Uh, he's writing his young, the young man that he says, I have no other like him. He is a genuine son of the faith. Okay, in verse 1, he makes this statement. But realize this, that in last days, difficult times will come. Please understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is not explaining to Timothy what lost people look like. Okay? If you're a saint today and you don't know what lost people look like, what are you, dead? Okay? I know what the lost looks like. He says, understand this, in the last days, hard things are going to happen. And he's talking about this letter, 2 Timothy, is discipleship. Reproduce yourself, Timothy. It should be the passion of every child of God to replicate themselves. Okay, you may get to do one soul, you may get to do 200 souls, but it should be your passion to make disciples of every soul that crosses your path. If you get that soul for an hour, if you get that soul for a year, if you get that soul for three years, if you get that soul until your ministry is completely done. It should be a passion to replicate. But understand this, in the last days, difficult things will come. Difficult times will come. Hardships will come. What will come, Paul? What will come, Paul? Speaking of the church, men will be lovers of self. Okay? Charles Spurgeon's comment on this is that being a lover of self is the sewer pipe that the rest of this runs out of. Uh, how appropriate. Why? If I'm a lover of self, then I'll be a lover of money. Ask yourself a question. Do I need to go on? Look at the body of Christ honestly today and ask yourself, does the body of Christ represent those first two statements? I can tell you from a pastor's viewpoint, those two right there are the most, cause me the most heartache of anything in Hall of Holy Writ. But they cause me the most heartache in my serving the body of Christ. If a person has, is a lover of self... I can do nothing to change that. If a person's boastful, I can point out that you're boasting. Okay? If a person has a lover of money, I'll ask you a question. Is it a need or a want? Is it a need or a want? Am I more concerned about the temporal or the eternal? I had some people call, told me... I cashed out some retirement money so I could help offset the costs to go to Russia when I went and uh, whenever it was. And people said, you're out of your mind. I said, why? Well, how, you got started so late, given to it, you'll never. I said, let me tell you something. If I really believe I'm going to retire, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. It's not in here. And, and you know what? I can tell you, well, the Levites, you know what? I ain't Levite. On a good day, I ain't Levite. Okay? I have worn Levi's. But that don't make you a Levite. Alright? The only person I can ever see that retires is the Levites. I ain't one. So what am I supposed to do? What I'm doing. Okay? I'm going to continue this until my faith becomes sight. Why? Are you going to be an imitator? You are. 
There ain't a person in this room. You may imitate your parents. You may imitate your grandparents. Or you may imitate your parents. Whatever it is, you have somebody who has impacted you. Okay? Were they an imitator of Jesus Christ? You know, I heard a guy says, Well, I can't be an imitator of Jesus Christ. He was perfect. I said, Then imitate Paul. Well, but that's a man. But he says, Imitate me. That's what the Bible says. Okay? Do we labor together? That's what he's getting at. Why? Because whether you're male or female is not an issue. It's not an issue. I remember a guy asked one time, uh, a columnist asked Dr. MacArthur, what was the racial mix of Grace Community Church? <laughs> and he says, I have no idea. He says, well, don't you guys keep? He says, no, we don't keep record of racial mix. Why? That's a man thing. There is no racial mix. I, you know what, women? You and the church don't have to work for equality in the body of Christ. Did you know that? And yet I see women who want equality in the body of Christ. What? You don't have to. Why? You already have it. If you're racially different, guess what? You don't have to work for equality in the body of Christ. There isn't. I got a friend of mine who pastors up in uh, upstate New York near Syracuse. Wonderful man. I, I met him through Olford Ministry. Man, makes me look tame. Okay? And he's a black man. He just gets right after it. I mean, you just, that's it, man. When he starts preaching, I just want to stand up and shake. Okay? I know it sounds charismatic, but it's not. But this is the way he is. And, he, and I was talking to him. I said, so what's it like up here? And he says, I love preaching up in upstate New York. He says, well, he says, I'm in a Southern Baptist church. And I said, that's cool. He says, our church constitution, upstate New York, says that no black man will worship with white people. And I said, well, why don't you change it? He says, why should I? <laughs> and he gets off on that. And I thought, that's cool. All right. He says, it's obvious nobody else is reading it. I said, so what is your church? He says, it's mixed. He says, I said, 50-50? He says, I have no idea. He says, I got black people and white people. Okay. So it's stuff like that. The body is edified. The body is strengthened. By who? Male and female. Who has the ability to pray and prophesy? Men and women. Let me, when you get into spiritual gifts, what spiritual gift is a woman lacking in? None. None. I'm going to give only the teaching and preaching gifts to the men and Anne ain't in there. My wife is a phenomenal teacher. I have set under... Ooh, can I say that? Yeah, I have sat under women who are phenomenal teachers, amazing teachers, okay? But I did it in a place that was not the congregation of the saints. It's a Bible study. You're telling me you go to a Bible study and you got a phenomenal woman teacher in that Bible study, go tell her to be quiet because she's a woman? Ain't happening, okay? When it comes to the proclamation of truth in the body of Christ, what we're doing here right now, there is no place for a woman. But there is, listen, there's no independence in the body of Christ. In the Lord, we are enabling one another. That's what God has brought us together for. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are on a time clock. I don't care where you are spiritually in your maturity. Do you know that your presence is for me? Did you know that? 
Did you know that if you, I, I didn't understand what he said and they come up and ask me a question about a sermon or something that I said, and you can only do today because last Sunday I've slept since then. But, but, but if you got a question, do you know that that's for my benefit? Did you know that? I don't understand that. Most people go to church for what they can get. Instead of walking into church for what they can give. Boy, we have missed that thing by a continent. Why? I go to a big church because they got a lot of money and they have a lot of things for me. What? Every time I go into another fellowship, anytime I'm around a group of saints, I only ask this one thing when I walk in. Father, if there's something here that I can give, let me give it freely. And Father, let me receive everything that you're about to. And that's where, whatever it is. I don't care if it's a Bible study. I don't care if it's a little dinner social thing. Whatever it is. Why? Here I am. Why? We are a helpmate to the Lord Jesus Christ. You ain't got a plan. We're following the groom. What do you want done? Here I am. Well, what if he says, sit down and shut up? Well, I don't want to do that. All right. I'll deal with that next week. Okay. Listen, there is a balance in the body of Christ. There's a balance that exists between men and women. The roles are different. Please understand that. But yet neither one with or without. Why? It is in the Lord. Women, you want equality with men, get saved. It's that simple. If you're saved, you are equal. Your role will be different, but you're equal. You're gifted, lacking in no gift, he said to the church in Corinth. Verse 12, look what he says. For the woman originates from the man. We knew that. We we dealt with that last week, right? Came from Adam. Use what he was getting at. The woman came out of the rib of Adam. Right? So also, man has his birth. That's added. Okay? Man, through the little translation, through woman. Absolutely. Do you know that every man in this room is a product of Eve? Listen, I wasn't a pile of dirt somewhere and God's running around blowing in the dust. I came through woman. If you're a male today, guess what? You came through woman. And the women are used. We get into that text where he says, a woman will be saved through childbearing. Well, if I have a whole bunch of kids, I'll get real saved. Okay, I think that's the Catholics, isn't it? The Catholics. Okay, woman came out of Adam, but every man came out of Eve. And if you want to be technical about it, every woman is a gift of God. Every woman. God gifts. Look what he says. You think I'm kidding? All things originate from where? God. Where did it come from? God. Why? I made a design. Every woman is a beautiful, precious gift from God. Look at your context. In the Lord. He's telling the church in Corinth that every female who is in your body of believers in Corinth is what? It's a gift from God. Which one? Every one of them. Jesus looked at the church and said, I thank you, Father, you've given them to me. And it's high priestly prayer in John 17. Which one would that be? 
See, when you understand that the church is a gift of God to the Lord, okay, you understand that. God said, I'm going to show my son how much I love him. I'm going to give him a bride. She will be the church. Jesus said, I'm going to show my love to my father in such a way that when he gives me this church, this bride, I'm going to present her holy, pure, blameless before my father. Okay, now grab that same instance and think about it. Women are a gift to men from who? From God. Listen, yes, your wife is a... Yes, yes, yes. Look at her, love her, tell her that yes, you're a precious gift. But I can look at it in the body of Christ and say that every woman who's in this church is a gift to this church. See how big this thing is? This thing, where are you at? Where are you at? Woman is a gift. Okay? And each soul in this body is designed by God to minister. To minister. You know what? Sometimes you get stuck in that, and this is the one that I'm right now I'd like to get stuck in. Be still and know I am Lord. <laughs> okay? That, that's you know, I see people get frustrated in that place. I'd give anything to be in that place. Can we be still now? Would you be still? Let me. Okay. Be, why? Because there's sometimes that God says, You're not ready. But what do we want? Oh, I'm ready. I read my Bible cover to cover and the footnotes. I know I'm ready. I went to the seminary or whatever. I'm ready. Really? You really believe that? You need to do some readings in the Talmud. Some amazing men of God wrote in the Talmud. And you know what? Best I can conclude, the bulk of them were Pharisees. And out of them, I can only think of three that got saved. And yet they had an insight into the holiness of God to make the, uh, the Puritans look like pagans. And yet Jesus pronounced seven woes upon them. You got that? Why? Did they know the Bible? Listen, they knew the Bible better than you and I could ever dream of. And yet when God incarnate stood in front of them, they had no clue who he was. So if you really believe that you can get to a position where you're ready, you're a fool. Because that place ain't in rhythm. I taught, it took me four, almost four, five years to teach a book of Hebrews. I don't know, I did that book the most injustice I've ever done in my life. I could go into that thing. I could still be preaching in that book. Okay? And I don't know if there was depth of the book of Hebrews that I still to this day ain't really, he showed me things that I can't explain. And I don't know what that means. One of us is an idiot and I don't think it's him. Okay? <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that even though the woman is in subjection, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, and she is saved by childbearing, every man who comes through the world has to come from the woman. And you know what the woman's responsibility is to do with that child when it's born? Where do you suppose the foundation for the Timothy came from? Lois and Eunice. And what did they do? Taught them the scriptures. Women, you want to change the world? Take care of the children God graces you with. Okay? Sometimes it may be the children in a Sunday school class. Take care of them children. But for the most part, women will shape the foundation of every man. You don't believe me? I like football. I do. I, you know, sorry. It's a pagan sport. I know. 
But hey, you know, might as well enjoy it while I'm down here because we ain't playing football up there. Uh, okay. But <clears throat> here's football. See these big men. They ain't got no necks. You see, you know what I'm talking about? The ears just putting they're right on their shoulders. And I mean, and they, they eat like more than you and I could ever dream of. And their, their hands. I, I mean, I played football, so I know the size of football. I watched that one guy, I can't remember. Oh, he's a defensive lineman. He picked it up and run it back for a touchdown. And he had the football in his hand, and it looked like a little bitty sponge ball thing. And I was sitting there going, that man is a big human being. Okay? And then they said, whatever, well, they're running a 40 in, in, in four seconds. He's like, oh, my God, that'd be like a train. You know, how do you get it stopped once you get it moving? Okay? I remember this one guy, a huge, massive human being. Big, mean, nasty man. He runs back this touchdown. He's a defensive player. He runs it back and spikes the ball. Then he picks it up like, give me that ball. You know, I don't get touched these very often. He wants back and they put the camera on him. And he looks around. And you know who he says hi to? Mom. Hi, Mom. And then you look at all of these big burly guys and they'll look up and they'll give a big victory sign and they'll do some kind of dance in the end zone. And they'll look at them and they'll say, hi, Mom. Well, wait a minute. What about me? Okay. Well, we bought Dad the Yucatan Peninsula for Father's Day. But anyway, those guys can't. But <laughs> he's not watching. Okay. But you see what I'm getting at? Why? Who lays the foundation that the child understands and grabs? And then you know what? Well, it's the daughter. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. It's the children. Who? Where do they come from? They come from the mother. We always hear it. The mother's love. I mean, when the Apostle Paul wanted to talk about how much he cared for a person, he says, did we not care for you as a mother, a nursing mother, her own child? What picture did he use first? I mean, if I care for somebody, can you get a better picture than a mother nursing her own child? No, that pretty much got carried down to the art form, doesn't it? That's what I'm trying to get at. Why? Because that is how it comes through. That is that salvation. Women always, always are in a position to change the world. They raise the kids. They raise the kids. You've heard of Augustine, the great debate on whether he was saved or not. Do you know why he accredits his salvation to him? His mommy. Why? His mommy said she prayed for him every day. Why? Because he took off and he loved the world and all of the fruits of the world. And she prayed for him consistently over and over and over that he'd come to salvation. And God literally took the direction of the church and changed it on that one man because he hinged himself on the scriptures. Okay? You want to read some stuff that just absolutely might blow your head off? Go look at John Calvin's mother. Okay? I, one of the things that one of my great people that I admire beyond my understanding, is Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish reformist. And, you know, he died at, at 30. Uh, he studied himself to death. Basically, all I could do, I mean, he knew like 17 languages. He taught himself all of them. And he had to study at night in a dank castle with freezing and all that with candles. And, uh, he needed to die. Anyway, you know what he attributes his ministry to? His mother. She prayed for him. You know, my grandmother... Um, died many, many years ago. <clears throat> and she had, when she was in failing health, she had moved down to uh, Georgia with some, some of her, uh, her daughter. And they moved down there. And uh, 
she went on to be with the Lord at that point in time. I had not, I was not saved. And uh, she went on to be with the Lord. And a few years ago, my uncle was murdered. And they had a dedication, consecration ceremony at a big, huge church in uh, Dalton, Georgia. And they asked me to come and to, to speak at it. They had heard what I was doing for a living now. And, and I hadn't seen a lot of these relatives. Well, some of these relatives couldn't drive. Last time I saw them, now they got kids. So it's been a while. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I went back to that. And <clears throat> my Aunt Sue was sitting there. We'd come back from the memorial and sitting down and all the rest of it. And she started kind of chuckling and grinning at me. And I said, uh, what are you doing? And she said, uh, something I need to share with you about Grandma. And I said, uh, yeah, what's that? She said, uh, she said, do you know that there was something she prayed for every day? And I said, yeah, I, I imagine that there's a lot of things I can think of I pray for every day. She said, no, there was something, one thing in specific that she had prayed for our family every day. I said, what was that? that and she said that there would be a Baptist preacher in our family. And I said, well, what about that? And she smiled real big. She said, she'd have never dreamed it had been you. <laughs> okay? It's just a woman. Women have always, always been in the body of Christ and used. When I think about the Apostle Paul, 30 plus years of ministry, pouring himself out, maximum effort in replicating himself everywhere he could, two people in the all of Holy Scripture that he called true, genuine children of the faith. One was Titus and the other one was Timothy. Timothy was exposed to the Scriptures by his mother and grandmother. And Paul said when he had to send somebody that he couldn't make it, I need to send somebody there as a direct replica of myself, I will send to you Timothy. He said it to the letter in Corinth. This letter here probably was delivered by a young man named Timothy. He said it to the church in Philippi. He said it to the church in Thessalonica. I have no one else like him who has the concerns of Christ over his own concerns. Okay? Women have always had a high honor in the body of Christ. Whether you have stepkids, whether you have your own kids, whether you have a Sunday school class, whether you're a nursery worker, you have a high honor that you've been trusted with those souls for the time God's given to you. Women, you have a calling from God. You have a design from God. You need to use it. That's the balance. Yes, men, you are the image and the glory of God. Absolutely, absolutely. But men, we should do our jobs well enough that the women that we've been entrusted with would reflect our image, which would be the image of the glory of Most High God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for this text. And Lord, I just thank you for the amazing things you've shown us. Lord, only you can change us. Only you make this real in our souls. So, Father, as my brother Paul said, may each and every one who have heard this message take great joy in it. Father, we who would struggle with walking in our roles, Father, help us. Father, may we seek you. May we walk worthy. Father, enable us 
to walk in the majesty and glory and power that spoke existence into being. And Father, as women are submitted to us, Father, may we collectively as a body of people be submitted to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, be about His will, His way, His purpose. To You, my Savior, to You, our friend, to You, our Lord, Christ. Amen.